Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode four zero of the Hardly Millennial podcast, where we are young, dumb, and full of opinions 40 <gasps> times over. 40 times over opinions, ladies wow, and gentlemen. We got to 40, dude. We got to 40, man. That's crazy. I'm super excited for 100, though. That's the one I'm like. 100's a bit. Well, let's hit 50 first. Let's hit 50 first. But I'm we'll really excited for 100. Yeah. Wow. So, What's up, guys? <laughs> so I'm Adam Hansen. Matthew Lynn. What's up? And today we're going to we're gonna try to be current. We're gonna oh, are we? Yeah, so I I thought... came into this totally blind today, guys. <laughs> I have zero clue what we're gonna talk about. So usually what we do, just so you guys understand a little bit of our process with the podcast, when we're trying to think of a subject, the first thing that we'll do is we'll go through like what happened in the news, right? And we'll see if right. there's anything exciting that happened in the news. And usually there's not, at least nothing worth having an hour conversation about, right? Mm. So, but today I literally have the page of news up. It's divided through politics, entertainment, science, and we're just going to actually kind of go through and see what's happening in the world and just kind of talk we're just about gonna it talk about see, the world yeah just gonna cool. talk about the world see oh what dude happens. i'm super on board for that yeah. i can do that so um i was worried i was like man how intellectual am i gonna have to be <laughs> okay. i know we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens what's happening in the world adam so um just to touch on politics trump did like 20 things to piss people off and people wrote like 20 different articles about it so uh that's old news though that's news every day that pretty much uh sums up politics right there. <laughs> sums up Perfect. politics well, right we had the politics conversation what's next <laughs> so we have uh technology is next Ooh. so there's a couple things here let's see uber freight is expanding into europe Uber freight? Whatever the fuck that is. What does is. that mean? You can like hire an Uber to do freight for you? I don't know. Maybe. Uber freight, the newly spun... I'm reading the article, by the way. Uber freight, the newly spun out Uber business unit that helps truck drivers connect with shipping companies, is kicking oh, off its global cool. expansion plans. Uh, local carriers and drivers will be able to book and move their first loads with Uber Freight in the <laughs> next few weeks. Uh, wrote in the blog post, blah, blah, blah. Uber Freight plans to expand to more European countries this year. So what Did, they... So, so that's awesome. So basically, what I'm, what I'm understanding there is if you're a truck driver, right, you don't get paid unless you're driving. Right. You know what I mean? You got... But you're, there's not always stuff to be moved so there's always things that need to be moved but right. you don't always have access to those things so it's not like you always work for one company and you just move stuff for that one company right you so can that, so that's what i was gonna ask so this is referring to just like truck drivers who are like independent contractors who just have the truck yeah, they don't have a and... contract to do they can go on this uber and there's people who need things moved and need a truck and you can go and do that if it's close to you Oh, that's okay. fucking genius. That is actually really so, genius. Well, that's not new though. They're already doing that. Right. What's just new is Europe. they're bringing it to Europe. I had so, I had no idea they were even doing it here though. This is the first I've ever heard about. First it. I've ever heard too, but I'm not into trucking. Right. Um, I I think that trucking is like a bigger deal in Europe than it is here. It's a big deal here, but I think trucking is like really a big deal in Europe. Really? How, I why? I think so. I don't know. I think things are just so close together there that it's easier uh, to move that's... stuff with a truck. You know uh, what I mean? And I guess whereas here you can move cross country with a truck, in Europe you can literally drive through like four different countries. Yeah. You I know? mean, everything's pretty close. It's smaller than the U.S. and there's like 30 different countries in it. That's true. So I think trucking is really big there. 
interesting. So that's interesting. So it's like you'll have somebody, you have a trucker in Spain, and somebody in you know Germany will want. You know, they'll be able to be like, oh, I'll, I'll draw something that, over there. If it's that small. You but think it's just I, in country? I, I get what you're saying. Right. Maybe like Netherlands, Belgium kind of thing. Yeah, maybe something like that. A smaller scale. But yeah, that, that is really cool. Um, well, we'll see how long it lasts until all trucks are just automated vehicles anyway, because we're still trying to do that. Do you think, we, do you think we... Lyft will ever get to the, to the point Uber's at? So I was actually thinking about that. I was like, because... I personally, without doing any research into either of those companies, I've always put them on kind of the same level with each other. You just either you use Uber I or you think, use Lyft. I think, like, capital-wise, like, uh-huh. uh, financially, right. I, I think Lyft is, like, a fraction of the size of Well, I think you're correct, um, because Uber's Uber. been around long, way I think it's, like, a Lyft. fifth of the size. Yeah. Like, big difference. I also think that Uber has been publicly traded much longer. Uh-huh. I think Lyft just became publicly traded. I wonder why I wonder why out of all these different uh, services, these self-driving services that you can send these self-employment services, I wonder why Lyft was the one that like I would think that Uber it would just be Uber right like Uber is the one that exists like nobody can compete because it's new it's original and then Lyft came along and Lyft I feel like even if they make a fraction of the profit that right. Uber they're does still there's still when you think of the of driving services you either think of Uber and Lyft well, that's capitalism baby so but I'm just it's curious like competition what, <clears throat> I'm just curious like what Lyft really does that differently to put it on the same kind of standard as Uber I'm sure that there's a lot of laws and regulations that help Lyft out mm-hmm. because you're not really allowed to be a monopoly it's kind of frowned upon right. so it, there's probably a lot of regulations that stunt Uber and kind of help Lyft mm. to get it to the point that it's at because we try to stimulate competition, so they say. Yeah, we're supposedly into that. <laughs> supposedly, yeah. Tell that to Alphabet. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they compete against Microsoft and Apple. Well, I guess that's true. Uh, Facebook announces four hundred dollar Oculus Rift S to launch in spring. Okay, so the Oculus thing. Interesting, uh-huh. you bring that up because me and Adam are very fascinated in. Virtual reality compared to augmented reality. Right. So this Oculus, that is, that's virtual. Right? Yeah, that's it's virtual reality. reality. So the difference being, for any of our older viewers, I know some of the parents listen to this, virtual reality is you put on a device mm-hmm. and you are then a character within a different world, a virtual world. Yes. So you can run around. It's pretty pretty limitless, honestly. Yes. Um, but as long as you can write the programs and keep them at blah, 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 then you can run around in a virtual world. Yes. The difference with augmented reality is augmented, you put a device over your face, right now it's how they do it, mm-hmm. and you bring the reality into your own world. Yeah. So you bring virtual, virtual objects, mm-hmm. uh, virtual devices into the real life. Mm-hmm. For instance, you can make a piano appear in front of you on stage and you can play the keys on the piano. Yes. Um, and again, the possibilities are pretty limitless. Yeah. Well, and I remember I showed you a video, I think a couple of weeks ago at this it point. It is incredible. So I was a huge believer in virtual reality. Mm-hmm. I said that augmented was going to take too long and that virtual was going to be a step along the way to augmented. Mm-hmm. And Adam has always said, 
knowing more than I do, that um, <laughs> virtual reality, it's the, the information is moving too fast. Like yeah. it's growing too fast. So we're going to skip right over virtual reality and just move right to augmented. Yeah. And I was like, bullshit, bullshit. Well, he showed me a video, guys, <laughs> of the forefront of augmented reality right now. The people yeah. who are like literally creating it day by day. And it is literally phenomenal. It is, isn't it, dude? It is like nothing I have ever seen or experienced before in my life. It's literally something out of a sci-fi movie. They can just make things appear on the stage around them, and they can manipulate the things and move them Mm -hmm. as if they have no weight to them at all. Um, But the the things and the objects they're using function exactly like the real-life objects do. Yeah. They can make buttons appear in front of them. And like right now, it's it's very, very infant early, right now, yeah. early on. So they're working on buttons and different styles of how to push a button. Yeah, they were seeing like what people prefer, like in the button example, you know, they she had a panel of buttons and the whole point was to try to see what people preferred more. So they were right. like, oh, well, here's a big button to push with your hand. Here's a small button to push with your finger. Exactly. And they were finding out interesting things about people of like, oh, if you see a big button, you're always going to want to use your hand your and do it, not hand. a finger. It's, it's really... Really cool stuff. But what's really cool about augmented reality that VR isn't even there yet is, and I'm sure, I'm sure there are isolated cases where you can do this with some VR games, but it's just as you said, in a virtual reality, you immerse yourself into that virtual world. Yeah, the world around you is virtual. But you can't really, like, I can't be in the virtual world and then put you in the same virtual world with me and be able to see you through... Multiplayer virtual Yeah, reality. yeah, multiplayer I virtual. I don't think that the processing is there yet. Yeah, that. exactly. I haven't seen it yet. I'm sure there's isolated incidences, but I haven't seen it yet. But what's cool about augmented reality that you saw is in order for them to show case what was happening, because obviously it's just these glasses that you put on. You have on. to have glasses on to do augmented. Your naked eye cannot see it. But what's cool, though, is anybody else who has those augmented reality glasses on can see whatever you're seeing through your own augmented reality. So if you have a screen open in front of you and I'm 20 feet away with glasses on and I look up at you, I can see you interacting with your augmented reality as if it were there my own. Correct. So it's that's why they call it re- reality. That's the reality part. So we can all experience the same thing at the same right, time. Right, but that's what I think is amazing about so it. You're it's literally not just pulling the virtual yeah. into our actual existence. Cuz you can't see can it with interact. your naked eye, but there's things like infrared that you mm-hmm. can't see with your naked eye. Right. But it's still all around us all the time. It actually exists in reality. It's yeah. a thing. So if you need glasses to see this augmented piano on the stage Mm -hmm. well the fact that we can all put glasses on and see it Mm -hmm. makes it just like infrared we can all put put goggles on and see infrared so it literally does exist at that point there is a piano on the stage even though there's nothing there we've Mm -hmm. made something exist and it's uh, it's crazy it's crazy it really is what i and so, I mean, the only way I can see this going in the future, too, is getting to a point where, like, they're able to create contacts in some way, shape, or form that's able to mimic, you know, this or create this augmented bionics, reality. Bro. Yeah. You start augmenting your body. Mm-hmm. You start using bionics. They're going to incorporate 
machinery and technology into our biological body. That'll definitely be the first step. And then it's going to be this question of like, well, how right is it to always experience the augmented when there's a real world around you? And you're going to have, quote unquote, virtual hipsters who don't wear glasses. There's (laughs) there's already that that philosophy that goes on of what is reality. You know, a I can see orange and you can see red and which right. one of us is right. It's yeah. we're both right. That's the mm-hmm. existence that each of us live in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You really do see red. I truly do see blue. Right. You know what I mean? We're both right. Mm-hmm. So it's it it you live in your own reality. You create your own reality. It, it's funny you brought that up because that is a thought that ever since I was younger has always just like boggled my mind. I think it boggles if, like all humans. Yeah. Dude. Well, it's just like where if everybody sees, you know, separate uh, colors than everybody else, just yeah. as you said, my red is your blue. And it, uh, that would be crazy because then we all see the same thing. But what I think of red, that uh-huh. hot deep red color right maybe someone else says the word red but they're seeing what i interpret as green and, and, I, to, and their my green is their red yeah but we exactly. both call it red so then i've always even gone further with that and i was like so what if we all like what if everybody has the same favorite color but if we just all see it differently so <laughs> what if actual reality is just gray yeah and all we're seeing is light bounce off ob- gray objects mm-hmm. in different ways and we're interpreting that light into colors there was a there was a scientist a scientist slash youtuber who l- was looking into that and was just talking about like oh uh, he was talking about animals specifically you know and he was going uh, he, he was showing a picture of the Milky Way, right? And he goes, if you're a cat, you see the Milky Way like this. Ugh, if you're crazy? a dog, you see the Milky Way like this. Mm-hmm. And it, he was asking... We, all call it, we would all call it the Milky Way if we all spoke English. Right, exactly. Yeah. But he was, he, was, uh, he was talking about it in regards to just that of like... Like, so what's real? What's the real color of they everything? Are, what's they the are real... all real. Exactly. Yes. It's how it's it's an interpretation of the objects around you. Oh, it's mind-boggling stuff, dude. It just... Dude, I was the... sitting there last night, and I was thinking again to the podcast where we talked about the individual who was born without sight or hearing or speech. Oh, yeah. Um, they just simply didn't have any three of those. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking in my head how they would think. Like, would their thoughts just be blank? Because they don't, there's no concept of English or right. words. They've never heard a word. Right. So they can't, there's, you know how we all have a voice in our head and we can talk in our head? Uh-huh. Well, I was talking in my head last night and thinking there's a human who's lived a whole life and is gone now and they never talked in their head because talk wasn't a concept to them. They never, they never experienced talk. So Damn. that voice in their head was ju- it. They still had that capacity, but they never used it because it didn't. They didn't even know that they could use it. Right. I don't even think they would speak gibberish in their head. There would just be silence. You've never heard a noise. I feel like there. I feel like there would have to be. Uh, I got I mean, down that's a, to that's a tough dude. One. I sat there for a while and I thought about it, and uh-huh. I thought about the only thing that you would actually be able to register and pick up from the outside world is shapes because you could feel you can still feel and you can still taste those Mm -hmm. are the two things you're able to do so you would constantly be thinking about tastes and you would constantly be thinking about textures Uh and you would put those tastes and textures associate them with shapes i think that you would be able to build anything you can think of out of shapes in your head 
So while they've never seen a house or uh-huh. know the concept of a house, they would be able to invent a house in their head. And to them, it would be their invention. So I agree with you. So I think shapes is the best way that they would probably That's be able to do it. That's all they would have, it. dude. But at the same time, though, as somebody who hasn't been able to to see, what would you say can't see, can't hear? Can't see, can't hear, can't talk. Can't talk. So I feel like at that point, it's, yeah, they 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 would think in shapes, but because they've never been able to see or hear anything, they wouldn't even be able to, like, I don't know, like, how could you even create a shape in your head? You know what I mean? Like, I think so. Could you create, could you be able to, like, make a lot, like, put four lines together and make a square in your head? I I think so. I think you could understand the concept of a line because you would still register. Your brain has the capacity to register all the information. Right. You know, so you're going to want to try to fill in blanks the same way me and you do. Mm, You know what I mean? It's still a brain. Right. So it, it wants to gather as much detail as it can. So you're going to spend all your 18 hours a day while you're awake touching everything around you, right. trying to pick up information. So you're going to get, you'll feel points, uh-huh. you'll feel edges, and you would be able to feel a triangle, see what that feel feels like, put the lines together in your head, and now you always remember a triangle. You can mm. always use that shape again. You can go back to it. So I think through practice, you would just inevitably through 18 hours a day every day for tens and tens of years right you would put circles and triangles and squares and shapes together in your head in different ways uh-huh. and come across concepts that are very elementary to us right but you would have to like invent every single thing or, or discover it in your own head it's pretty crazy, dude. I'm very happy I can see and hear and talk. <laughs> well, I don't like, think without modern medicine you could survive. But nah, well, yeah. I'm, anyway, how, side note that I was thinking about last night. Well, and just just one last thing on that with how much we cater to the weak, you know, in this world. Which not the, not the saying needy, we should or shouldn't. I'm just saying we help the needy. The need is a nicer way to say that. When we help the needy, I'm sure they would be able to. Uh, find help in this world and be able to get oh yeah there. today they'd be fine they uh my justin actually told me once about a somebody who was in his fraternity who couldn't see or hear oh and he had some implant that was put into his uh temple that could it, it didn't it didn't bring back his sight but it could help him see like contrast oh interesting so like justin was telling me that he would be able to text but he had to hold the phone like super fucking close to his eyes uh-huh. to like make How out the letters and everything in it. But couldn't hear, couldn't hear, couldn't see. The only thing he could do was like he could make out little like fuzzy shapes because of this implant he had. Huh. So we are getting there. Well, and actually we're getting there more. Have you seen um, the videos where the deaf people hear for the first time? Um. No, but I imagine there's a lot of crying. So there's a lot of crying, yes. yes. So there's these implants now that they can put uh, into your ears, and it's it's relatively new. 
but there's tons of videos out there of people your and I's age who have been deaf their entire life, never been able to hear not even a speck of noise. Uh And they put these implants in and then they turn up the volume a little bit and all of a sudden their loved ones are talking to them and they can hear them. Oh shit. And yeah, so we can we're That'd literally be crazy. that just gave me goosebumps. Yeah. That would be nuts. We're dude. literally getting to I'm a... so happy for those people. Yeah. Like I don't even know them. And when you said that, I just like got like happiness for those people. It's one I'm of like, those... that's amazing. They should all get that opportunity. Yeah, it's one of those video compilations you watch and you're just like, I'm not gonna cry, man. Yeah. I'm not gonna cry. Like that's so cool. Something we cool. take for granted that they just appreciate so much. Yeah, it's really cool when you see like when they'll put like the implants in little kids too, who are like toddler age you know and they'll and they'll be crying and everything at first they're in a white doctor's office with a bunch of people around and shit but then like once they turn up the volume in here they'll like be crying they'll go ah and then they'll just go silent they're like, and oh, you'll, shit, that you'll was just see me. their heads like a fucking bird because it's all just, that information all of a sudden in, yeah all of a sudden wants to all, of this. all of it and then they start crying again uh-huh. it's 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 the coolest thing to watch or more an intriguing thing to watch i should say but yeah, dude, huh. stuff like that's crazy. Um, let's see what else is happening. In yeah, the what else is here. happening? We had something to say about that. Yeah, I don't remember what the original article was, but you know, I think where do we leave out the virtual reality thing? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Something about Apple's AirPods. I don't give a fuck about. Apple's, Apple's uh, pretty beast, dude. Yeah, well, they have those AirPods right now that are super pop. I think you've seen them. They look like half of a headphone. They're it's like headphones without the wires. So they're these little white headphones that just hang out of your ears like this, but there's uh-huh. no wires or anything. But it's all Bluetooth, so you can uh-huh. talk to people through it and stuff. But okay. I always look at them and I'm I just mean, I'm, like, that sounds cool. I mean, tons of people use them, but I'm just always like, I feel like they're going to just fall out of your ears easier, but whatever. What do I know? I use Android. (laughs) Uh, Facebook agrees to advertising overhaul to settle U.S. discrimination suits. Okay, so I did read a little bit about this. this, Facebook uh, is discriminating on people? So this goes back into politics a little bit. It was uh, just one little thing I read about in one of the articles where Trump, Trump, I guess, is threatening to do an investigation into Facebook uh-huh. because of them di- discriminating against conservative like pages or views or users. Right. So right. he's so I I didn't read into the article, but basically he's like, you can't fucking do that because it's a way to sway an election or some shit like that. But so now Facebook agrees to advertising overhaul to settle U.S. discrimination suits, which tells they're going to change their advertising. Yeah. But which tells me that Facebook was very aware that they're fucking up. So before any lawsuit could even happen, they're like, "Okay, we're going to fucking do an overhaul. Don't worry. Don't worry. We'll fix it for you. Facebook is scandalous as fuck, dude. They are scandalous. All the social media ones are scandalous as fuck. Honestly, the one you hear the least about is Instagram. The gram? Because the gram is just a nice, peaceful place to take cool pictures. It's a nice, peaceful place to take cool pictures. But Everyone yeah, so loves the gram. Facebook, the Facebook and Twitter thing is something we're going to have to make sure we follow because I'm, I'm really curious what's going to happen with all this social media and internet business because of all that shit. But I don't know. Zuckerberg keeps getting away with it, dude. He's like a ninja. <laughs> Meanwhile, Instagram adds new feature to let U.S. users shop direct via app. Oh, cool. <laughs> so that's what Instagram is. People are going to start monetizing on Instagram. <laughs> that's good. Good capitalism at its finest. Good love. capitalism at its finest. All right, let's. Uh, that was pretty much all in tech. What's in entertainment? 
Hollywood Power. Hardly millennials get to episode 40 of their podcast. Oh, right That's there. actually top, on CNN, the guys. The top Jeez. news. It's on what all the of them. <sighs> better it's, look us up. Better look us up, guys. Like, comment, subscribe. Uh, Hollywood Power Elite hosting Kamala Harris fundraiser. Okay. That's, okay. Okay. Daniel Caesar claims black people are too sensitive. Ooh. That's okay. Let's just go to the next one. Daniel Caesar is a black person, by the way. Oh, so uh, Caesar or Cesar? Cesar, Caesar, Cesar. So speaking of entertainment, okay. What's up? Um, the new. Oh, what's his face? Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, that one. Yeah, new Quentin Tarantino movie number nine. Number coming nine. out. It's not called that. It just happens to be the ninth <laughs> rendition of Tarantino Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quentin made a new movie, guys. So it's called. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes. It's got my man, the love of my life, Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm. Uh, and it's got another, you know, hunk of man called um, Brad Pitt, I Brad believe his Pitt. name is. Is that yes. how you pronounce it? <laughs> yes, yes. Brad Pitt is in it as well. Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, directed by Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. It's going to be amazing. I'm very excited for it. So we watched a trailer this morning, Adam and I. Yeah. Uh, we heard about the movie originally. Yeah, they released a poster for it, yeah. And we knew nothing about it, and we decided that we were going to go see it uh, just because of the people in it, Mm -hmm. which is a whole conversation that we had as well. (laughs) Because we were disgusted with ourselves that we were were so excited about a movie we knew nothing about. We were disgusted. Anyway, today the trailer came out for it, and we watched it, and it actually looks really interesting, guys. Mm -hmm. It kind of looks like the uh, early days of Hollywood. Look like the 60s, definitely. Um, Not necessarily the early days of film, but kind of when it became real, like, um, big, real monetized. Yeah, I mean, to tell you the truth, I'm not too familiar with how Hollywood was conducting themselves in the 60s. Mm. There's, I mean, I can't even really think of any movies off the top of my head that came out in the 60s that I'm personally, like, really into. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just, I think it's, knowing Tarantino, it's probably going to be this mixture of, like, Hollywood, but also what's happening in the real life at that point, right? So you had the Vietnam War, you had Nixon with Watergate and everything. There was the hippie movement. So I'm sure they're just going to find a way to kind of mush all of that together. it's going to have to be kind of weird and kind of dark because it's because it's Tarantino. Tarantino. It's probably going to be one big violent scene too. You know, at least, but at least they're very. Someone's going to lose some limbs or something. <laughs> it's, it's got to. Now in the trailer, it didn't look like any intense violence was going on. It looked very much like a lot of partying was going on. Yeah. So it's about. So just from what we got from the trailer, for those who haven't seen it yet, it looks like it's about DiCaprio, who's a famous actor in Hollywood in the '60s at this point. And then Brad Pitt, who's his stunt, stunt double. double. Yes. And then Margot Robbie's in there, who I'm sure is going to be the love interest. Uh, you know who Margot Robbie is. She was in uh, Wolf of Wall Street. She was the blonde woman, the Leonardo DiCaprio's wife. Naomi? The hot one? Yeah, was that her name, Naomi? Yeah. The super hot blonde. Yeah, yeah, that's Margot Robbie. So she's that's in her? there, too. I yeah. thought it was the girl who was in, um, who was Ron Burgundy's girlfriend. No, that's Christina Anchorman. Applegate. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that literally her name? Yeah, Christina Applegate. I, doesn't she use that name in the movie, too? I don't think so. Does she? I think she does. I think I think they might do like a play on her name. Okay. But I don't think it's It's not exactly the Applebee, same though. Yeah. I thought it was that girl who no. was in the new movie coming D- out. Did you ever see uh, or watch the show Married with Children? 
With, I know uh, of it, but I didn't really watch. Oh well, Christina Applegate. She was the the blonde daughter in oh. that show. That's where she comes from. So this one is a is the super hot blonde from World of Wall Street. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Same one who played cool. Harley Quinn also in the the Suicide Squad movie and all that. Show. Oh, cool. Yeah, love her. She's great. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm very excited for that movie. There, I also saw a trailer for Toy Story Four. They're no. doing a Toy Story Four movie. I thought they said it was done. No. They, I thought uh, that the last Toy Story was the last one. No, like a couple of years ago, they announced they were going to do a fourth one, and they just released the trailer for it like yesterday or the day before. Well, really? To be honest, it looks good. Well, of course it looks good. It's you Toy know. Story. <laughs> but, I mean, are, are we okay with this? Are we just going to let it keep happening? So, from what I gathered from watching the trailer as, as like what the story is about... I think I'm okay with there being a fourth Toy Story, but I don't think I would be okay with them going beyond the fourth Toy Story. Four is the last one. It's the final straw. I think it should be. Because what I gathered from the trailer (coughs) is that the fourth Toy Story movie is kind of about... It's about Woody kind of passing on his, his knowledge from like from being Andy's toy all these years and like passing that down to toys who like necessarily don't want to be anybody's toy. Like once there's one specific, uh, Lee in there, that's like the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The focus on the film. Uh So like from that kind of standpoint, it's like, all right. So you're just kind of, this is, we're kind of getting an epilogue, right? To the toy stories franchise. Okay, cool. I'm fine with that. But if they went past it beyond the fourth one, I don't think I'd be okay with that. But I don't think they would because Tom Hanks and uh, Tim Allen both said that this was the last movie they were doing. They said they would not come back for another one. Wow. Yeah. Who would have thought Toy Story would keep going longer than The Lion King? Yeah. Well, what's Ooh, crazy wow. about Toy Story is I still remember. Well, I mean, in, in their defense, though, huh. sorry to cut you off, we don't have a live action Toy Story yet. And we no. do. We are getting a live action Lion King. We are getting a uh, God. A live action Toy Story would. I don't know how they would uh, do that. Be creepy, wouldn't it? That would be a little creepy. Be a little weird. Like the I. The only way I could see them doing it is like. Did you ever see the movie Night at the Museum? With yeah. Ben Stiller. Yeah. Is like doing it like that where you had the little miniature figures and then they were quote unquote real people, you know, played by real actors, but like. In Toy Story, though, there are moments when, you know, this kid is, like, running around with, uh, carrying this toy. Yeah. It's like, what, you're going to have, like, an Owen Wilson lookalike, you know, fucking, like, flailing his arms in ah. this kid's hands? I don't know. It would but be interesting. It'd be hard to do, I'm ho- sure. I hope they don't. Honestly, I'm, I'm sick of going on with these franchises as much as we are. I get it to an extent, but at the same time, it's like, just come come up, start a new franchise, Come up with an original uh, idea, have the first movie, yeah, and then they do, do three that, movies of that. And we get, like, Moana and <sighs> fucking the ice one. What's the ice I princess? Love I know. Everyone loves it. But it's great. It's great. It's just not what I grew up with. I feel ya. I feel ya. But I don't know. With, the, with those kind of movies, it's like... It, with Disney movies, it's hard too because it's like I I have a hard time saying, like, oh, those are original ideas because we already know Disney just takes a you know, uh, algorithm that works well, yeah. and basically just, you know, plugs and plays yeah, them. Genius. But uh, I forgot my point. 
but I'm just tired. I'm just tired of lack of originality in Hollywood. That's why that, I like. That was it. Like, yeah, you found your. Yeah, point. I mean, yeah, I guess that's why I really like Quentin Tarantino because all of his films are original. I am very excited for for this latest film that's going to be coming out. Me too, man. Uh, because this is his ninth film, I'm actually really excited for his tenth film because I feel like he's going to go like above and beyond for the big one zero. You know what I mean? Whenever the his tenth film comes out later in life, that seems like a lot of but, films for a human to get through in their lifetime. Ten? No, that's like nothing. Really? Yeah, I think Spielberg has like thirty. Oh. I think films. Oy, oy. Um, there's Tim Burton. I think has more than Tarantino. Also, nine's actually really small. Huh. I think Christopher Nolan uh, actually is above Tarantino. Well, he I feel is like if it takes years like later. two or three years to make a movie, and you do it ten times, that's like 30 years. Well, it depends. So people like Tarantino, I think, are people who really delve into the art of you know we were just talking about this earlier you know they're yeah. a true artist when it comes to filmmaking right. so similar to the other director I was telling you about Wes Anderson Wes Anderson's another one who I think he's only done like 8 to 10 films in his life but these are directors who I feel like they finish up a film and then they go okay I'm gonna work on the next one and if it takes them 4 years to develop that story in that film then it takes them 4 years but that's right. why you always get hits with them every time they're released. Right. Uh, Baz Luhrmann is another example. He's one of my favorite directors. He did uh, Moulin Rouge, Ballroom Dancing, oh, yeah. Great Gatsby. And he does, I think he's has only released like five films, but he releases one film like once every six years, but they're always these grandioso, just fantastic, polished films. So does Steven Spielberg and directors like that, do they work on like multiple films at one time? So uh, typically directors won't work on multiple films at one time, at least not in the sense of they'll both be filming at the same time. Maybe one will be in pre-production while the other one's actually shooting. Right. Spielberg, though, although I would call I would call him an artist in his own right. He's somebody who's hired on to do movies. He's just the best one out there to hire on to do movies. Right. So so people like Tarantino, they write their own shit. They're usually the top producer on their own shit. Oh, okay. Whereas like Spielberg is somebody where like Warner Brothers will be like, hmm, who do we want to get to direct this film? Oh, let's see if we can get Spielberg. Let's call Steven. Yeah. <laughs> He'll do it. So, so Steven doesn't Steven Spielberg doesn't write any of his films. He does he's just solely the director brought on to direct it. He's just the best at it. I see. Mm-hmm. So, would you, would you say that most directors are more like a like a Tarantino? No, most are like Spielberg. Most are like Spielberg. They're just mm-hmm. they're just good at the art of directing. Mo- most of the ones that are like making a living doing it. I'll rephrase. Right. They're more like of just that. contractors that get hired on for the project. Yeah, and that happens to like big name directors also. I mean, I think uh, Tim Burton is a perfect example of that, where he has some of his kind of passion projects. Like Beetlejuice is a perfect example of that. Of like, didn't he do? Um... Uh, the Christmas Nightmare one. Oh, Nightmare. So this is actually funny. It's that's actually a great misconception. He had nothing to do with directing that film. With the what? what what's Nightmare the name Before Christmas? Nightmare Before Christmas. Did that movie was it. hugely famous. Did not direct it though. Really? It, it sure seems him. like he did. It was directed by Henry Selick. Totally seems like it yeah. was Tim Burton. It was based off of a short story that Tim Burton wrote, and it was based off of his art. But he had nothing to do. Really? With, yeah. Oh, I bet he wishes he did. 
That movie did great. It was like a cult yeah. following when oh, I was a kid, dude. Oh, yeah, 100%. Huge. And it's funny. It's always one of those misconceptions because everybody's like, oh, it's my favorite Tim Burton film. It's like, ah, uh, oh, you didn't direct like, no, it. No, it's not. <laughs> that is funny. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Uh, I did not know that. Henry Selleck, the man who did direct that film, he's actually very, he's probably the most infamous director for doing stop animation. So he also did the movie Coraline. Um, I don't know if you've heard of that movie before. No. Uh, he did a movie called, uh, I think it was called like Kubo and the Legend of the Two Strings or something. But they're, <laughs> they're all stop animation films, but they're very grandiose, complicated in depth. Like oh, interesting. Stop animation films. I always enjoyed them. Just, honestly, just from the art aspect of it, the fact that somebody was moving these little pieces, you know, one by one, one frame a second. To create this entire fucking movie. I know. That's how they do it. Oh, yeah. I thought it was just computer animated. No. They literally, they create models. And then there's literally teams of people that will go in there and move them just slightly, then film. Then move them again slightly. Oh, my gosh. That's so tedious. Very tedious. But this guy makes feature length films like it. Oh wow, that's and amazing! And they're always and they're always well received, and because he always tries to do it, like he'll sometimes he'll put some like computer animation stuff in there to like you know link some stuff together and things like that. But for the most part, he's always been big about always making it as practical and real as possible. So Coraline, hmm. there's a part where the little girl goes out into this backyard and it's like a dead backyard and then it all starts coming to life. So these flowers start blooming everywhere and things like that. Right. But it's all stop animation. And they showed the behind the scenes on it and they literally created this rig where like they filmed separately where they just pressed a button and basically all these flowers came out at once. <laughs> and then they did the stop animation with the, the little figurine girl. And then that's when they used computer to like take that and put her into the scene but it's all still stop animation that's insane yeah dude. that would take so long it always does he's that's a, super cool though. he's another one one film like every five years yeah because you know they take forever, but but they're passion projects oh absolutely and what's cool about his films is a lot of the times the film itself doesn't even have to be good but he's just the leading expert of stop animation that it's like you just you always go to see them. Yeah. You always go to see them. You enjoy them. You take them for what they are. Because it's just the like, holy shit, what's he going to do this time with stop animation? How far is he going to be able to go this time? It's it's pretty wild stuff, That's dude. wild. That's yeah. a lot of pressure on yourself as a creator, though. To oh, yeah. always have to one-up like that. It's Because uh, at a certain point, I mean, you're just not going to be able to one-up it. At a certain point, you're going to put out the best thing you, you, that you can do. You know what I mean? Uh, and then people are going to want a next step. And I think at least for most people, right. there's just there's a point where you can't give them the next step. And it's it's kind of crushing. Well, I, th- I think that happens to directors and filmmakers just in general who don't take their time on what they're trying to do. Yeah. So you have the directors out there, Michael Bay. Is a perfect example. Michael Bay does all the action movies, all the Transformer films. Oh, okay. Michael cool. Bay. So, but he—he's like the action aficionado, you know, in Hollywood. They shot one of the Transformers uh, where I'm from. Oh yeah, in Tucson, right? Yeah, in Tucson. And they, uh, so they created this. Uh, so he's somebody where like he'll usually just like pump out films, right? Especially the Transformer movies when that franchise was a big deal. Like every yeah. year there was a new Transformer. Oh, those movies movie did great. They were out. all awesome. Well, the, I liked them. 
Well, but some of them were not as well received as other ones. Some True. of his movies are not as well received as other ones. And that's an example of somebody who just pumps out films, you know, really quick. And sometimes you get gems and sometimes you don't. I would actually argue that with Spielberg, too. Yeah. You know, there is, I've definitely been some Spielberg films where I'm just like, uh, like. Yeah, but his okay. name's on everything. Yeah. Even if you know nothing about media, you know Steven Spielberg. Yeah, exactly. Like, so, whereas if you get the directors who take their time or the filmmakers that take their time with these projects and making sure all of their ducks in a row before going on and making the film, I think you're more likely going to get a film that's more well-received because at this point... It's people aren't even going at this point to see like a good film. But if you tell somebody I spent the last 10 years trying to make this film great, people want to see what right. that 10 years is going to do. So it was even a lot if, of expectations. Exactly. But yeah. even if the but so what that happened, what that causes, though, is usually if you're spending 10 years making sure a film is perfect before you do it, it's very rare that film is going to be poorly received. Because right. one, if you've spent that much time on it, it's probably really fucking good. You probably have something good on you. And two, a lot of the times people just want to like just appreciate, wow, this is what 10 years got us. Avatar was that for James Cameron. I think the only issue with doing something like that is mm -hmm. that in the amount of time that that takes in those 10 years or even even five years, uh -huh. um, the technology just moves on so quick around you yeah. that you could only almost do that with a piece of art, something mm -hmm. that could still be appreciated once it's not the forefront of technology. Right. I don't think you could develop a video game for 10 years because by the time that game went out, the technology would be so far beyond it that it wouldn't be received the way it would have in its heyday. That's true. Um, but with art, and you know, I would say that a lot of movies are art, mm -hmm. um, you can almost get away with that more because yeah. like you can make a movie now that's shot on the what like 35 millimeter yeah on the on the old school film mm -hmm. you know and it could still be well received nowadays oh because yeah. it's art some people really appreciate that genre um so yes i think that in the case of of art you can have those passion projects oh yeah but there are definitely most industries i think you do have that crunch time where mm -hmm. Yeah, you could have an amazing video game come out, the best one ever, but because technology moves so fast, that doesn't yeah. happen. They're almost forced to just pump out what they can to seize the moment. Well, and that's and and you're right. And that's why it gets, you know, there's those gray areas of like, you know, if you're shooting something like uh like like Avatar is a perfect example, right? So, like the blue people, the blue people Avatar. Okay, gotcha. So James Cameron, <laughs> the, a great the movie. Pocahontas with Fantastic. blue people. Fantastic uh, movie. But James Cameron had discussed that that was like his opus, right? Right. He so he had been planning on doing that film and like writing that film for like ten to twelve years, but the whole reason why he didn't do it. I think when it came out, 10, 2009, something like that. The sure. reason why he didn't do that 10 to 12 years beforehand was because he knew technology wasn't there yet to create the blue people in this world of Pandora right. that he wanted to create. So he had to wait for technology to catch up with his idea. 
and then release it like that. But James Cameron's also an example of somebody who takes his time on films. We already know there's going to be four Avatar films. James Cameron announced this very soon after the first Avatar was released. Well, we haven't seen a second Avatar film yet because he's still working on it. Oh, there's, wow. They're still fine-tuning it. There's... So he pretty much said, I'm at the stage now. I'm going to spend the rest of my life developing this trilogy that I've been thinking about since I was a kid. Well, when you when you make Titanic, you know, you're, you're allowed to do that. <laughs> That's another one, though. So James Cameron is just someone who he puts out epic movies. When he puts a movie out, you know it's beyond all the other movies. So James Cameron... Is So you had mentioned earlier when we were having a discussion about film and movies, you were discussing earlier about how cool it would be to have somebody who like like did it all mathematical, right? Yes, like only used algorithms, didn't care about his passion, uh-huh. didn't care about the art. He just used science to make like the perfect movie. Okay, so I would argue that... James Cameron might be the closest you have to that. And he's the guy who made Titanic? He's the guy who made Titanic. Okay, I would agree then, yes. He's epic. Maybe not so much to the process of like actually making the film, but as far as coming up with an idea that sells. So when he did Titanic, for example, he uh, I, I can't remember who distributed and produced, what studio distributed and produced Titanic, but I think it was Paramount. But when he was, let's just say it's Paramount. When he was sitting in the uh, this room with studio execs for Paramount, mm-hmm. and he had to pitch this film, he had to pitch Titanic and get them to sell it. And this is literally, and I had no clue that this was the story of Titanic until it was said in such simple terms like this, and uh-huh. then it was like a ding, 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 and he goes, goes, okay, this is my idea, Romeo and Juliet on the Titanic. That was it. And that's what the movie is. It's Romeo and Juliet to a T. But it just happens on a sinking ship. So he knows how to take... (laughs) So he knows how to... That's hilarious. Yeah, so he knows how to take two compelling stories and put them together to create one grandioso story, which in this case was the movie Titanic. Now, did he have anything to do with the choosing of cast? Yes. And the the scenery and stuff? Okay. So I would say overall, over-encompassing, mm-hmm. like that's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. It's yeah. definitely in the top 10 of over-encompassing. They chose the perfect actors for the perfect roles. They made the scenes relatable. The sounds were amazing. The whole package as an entire completed package is one of the greatest. I would probably put Titanic in my top three I films. agree. It's, it's fucking yeah. phenomenal. So are, are pretty much all of his movies toppers are they all movies that just kick ass yes uh well he was the one who started the terminator franchise oh, right fuck. yeah that so really well. he uh, also did the second alien movie which in that whole franchise is revered as like the best alien movie of all of them okay so that's what launched his career uh he did avatar he did uh, he's done a lot that i'm like spacing out so on as now, you're but... as you're st- saying these names though i uh-huh. feel like any of those movies if they haven't hadn't have been put out yet, uh-huh. if they released tomorrow, right. brand new, I feel like any of those names would still do well tomorrow. Yes, even if they came out looking exactly the same as they do now, mm-hmm. and kind of aged. You know what I mean? They don't right. even have to change the technology. If he just re-put them out and they were brand new, mm-hmm. they would all be hits. I think so. For the most, maybe not the alien one, but 
everything else would pretty much be a hit. Yeah, it would. That would end up. They would end up just falling into like a niche at that point, right? I think Alien you know? was a product of its time. That's why it did so well. I think now that particular story just wouldn't do as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It but, was well. The first Alien movie was. It was basically the first horror movie where the monster was an alien. Was an alien. You know. Yeah, we're kind of over but, that now. It's yeah. Cool. But yeah, the stuff with like Terminator and stuff, and then like I said, I think all of those could come out now and still be successful. Yeah. So his work is kind of timeless. Yes, one hundred percent. I think that's something special. You don't get that very often. No, not at all. It's almost like a prodigy, dude. Yeah, and that's why I always get bothered by the directors. Like I, I understand just like any industry, there are just some people who just look at it as it's their job right so some of these you know hollywood movies that come out that you know go by the wayside you you know they're there they're just some stupid little action drama or whatever it is and then you'll never hear about them again right you know right. regardless if they're a-listers or not and you know there's there's a certain level of respect for those directors out there who do those kind of films but at the same time it's like as an artist, as a filmmaker, I feel like you should aim for all of your films to be timeless like that. Right. You know? Well, I feel like actors do that. That's yeah. definitely what actors do. Um, particularly ones like like the great, like Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio, um, you know, Robin Williams. Yeah. There's, there's many actors out there who they, they just, they're timeless. Every single time that they play a role in any movie, even... Even their biggest flop is the greatest hit of most other people. Yeah. You know what I mean? They are just amazing in every role they play. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like it's because it's more their portfolio. Yeah. Like, it really, they're the ones that get judged for it. Mm-hmm. Like, in the actual industry, right. the director gets judged for the film. Okay? So if mm-hmm. you're trying to stay in the industry and stay relevant in your job, it's the director who gets all the blame or all the all the grace for the movie. For the most part, yeah. But with the fans, with actual people who go to the movies and watch them, mm-hmm. and the ones who pay the money, it's the actors. If the yes. movie sucks, we blame the actors for it. Because yes. a lot of us don't really know a whole lot about directors for the most part. Right. We just, just don't. So that that's why I feel like the actors try harder than the directors do at mm-hmm. face value, at least, right. to try to put on a good performance. Well, yeah, and the actors, so I think the reason why you get that with the actors too is because there's a sense of elitism, especially amongst actors in Hollywood. And I think when I think in one of our earlier podcasts when I was talking about when I was on set for Oz the Great and Powerful. Yeah. Remember I told you that story where James Franco did something that was like chuckle worthy, but everybody on set just started cracking up like the king had just made a joke, you know? <laughs> right, right. And so and I think you get those kind of things because of just what you said. You know, they're at the forefront of the film. Everybody understands that yeah, they're if the they're not the happy, film. then they're not getting a good performance, then you're not gonna your know, your film's not going to sell, but that's what's. But wrong just like with anyone, you can spoil those people. Just like a kid, yeah, you know what I mean. Exactly. There's a difference between keeping them happy and just spoiling the shit out of them. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, know? come on. And I think too too many too much. It happens where they're spoiled. You know, they're always spoiled. It's like, okay, make him happy, make him happy, make him happy. Uh, an interesting example of that is Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. So, 
I saw a documentary, and I think I talked to you about this a little bit, but there was a documentary where Jim Carrey was playing a real person. Like, it was biopic, so he was playing yes, you've told me Andy story. Kaufman, the yes. comedian who died. And it was called Man on the Moon. And they made a whole documentary uh, where they interviewed Jim Carrey today about him mm-hmm. playing that role years ago, where he... You know, quote unquote, the spirit of Andy Kaufman possessed him, and yes. he he acted as Andy Kaufman the entire time on set. He got very, very into the role, right? So to the to the point of just annoying the fuck out of everybody, right? Yes, he would so, make people call him Andy. He would like yeah. he wouldn't if you tried to say uh, Jim if you called him Jim. He wouldn't answer you. Yeah, he had he would, to call him Andy. He would go. Yeah, he he would even say to them. He'd shake their hand and be like, "Oh my." He'd go, "No, my name's." Uh, they go, "Hey, nice to meet you, Jimmy." He'd be shaking hands with them and he'd like keep holding their hand so they couldn't pull away. And he goes, "Andy, my name's Andy." Okay, and they go, "No, Andy." Like I, I mean, I hear Jim's a great guy. I'll let him know that you know you like, and just just all the time, nonstop. Yeah. Okay. So, but here's the, but here's the difference. So there are two different kinds of people here. You have people like my brother, for instance, who watched that documentary and was like, you know, my brother who's really into acting and really into that, the different acting techniques out there who watched them was like, wow, how cool getting so immersed into a role and, you know, trying to create this magic and trying to create this awesome character. But then you have people like me who's like, this guy's a fucking asshole. (laughs) Right. Like, what a fucking asshole. Well, because you've actually... I feel like you have a side of the story that most of us don't get. Because you've yeah. actually worked on stage mm-hmm. in these settings of everywhere from an independent film all the way up to a film that grossed millions of dollars. Right. You didn't make millions of dollars, obviously. Right, 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 you were right. very, very small little speck in it. Uh-huh. But you were still a part of the whole thing. You right. saw a lot of behind the scenes of it. Yeah. So I feel like you have a better understanding of these are just dudes in their 30s and right. 40s. They're not super far away. Like, they could be our older brother. Mm-hmm. And they're not that much greater than us. They're just people. Yeah, that was... And you're like, fuck you. Just act like a person. That was what <laughs> actually one of the most shocking things. So it's... A lot of them are goofy as fuck, too. They're just goofy people. Very goofy. And it's very <laughs> different when you're watching one of these A-list actors give a performance in real life compared to when you actually see the final product. Well, because they're not a theater actor, bro. It takes yeah. a, it takes a hundred other professionals around this person to make them look like a genius. Exactly. So I remember there was a so there was a scene when I did Oz the Great and Powerful where so as a stand and as a double, if there's a part where like they need so just to set it up. So James Franco as Oz was giving a speech to the people of Oz, right? So you had right. so you had this little mountain and you had all these extras all in costume and everything. Okay. And the whole purpose of this shot was just to get reaction shots of all the extras. Okay. So when they're doing reaction shots of all the extras, well there's no reason for Franco to be up there giving the speech. No, you just need the voice. Just need the voice. So they would put me up there, they made me memorize this speech and then I would give this speech out to the extras so that the extras had something to react to. So when you're watching the movie and you're seeing them react to Franco talking, they're actually reacting. They're actually reacting to Adam Hansen talking. But the thing is, (laughs) yeah, that's kind of (laughs) cool. It is kind of cool. There's going to be like 13 people who know that now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, but anyways, 
So now, after I did my thing, I got down from it, and then they wanted to shoot Franco doing the actual scene, so he got up, gave the speech. And I had extras who were coming up to me, multiple people, who were telling me that they thought I did the lines better than James Franco, uh-huh. right? And very flattering. I very much appreciate it. But the first thing that came to my mind is James Franco is an A-list actor. There is no fucking reason that a stand-in should be reading these lines better than him. Like, so it, so it, and I don't put myself on a pedestal as a great actor by any means. It's not something I necessarily enjoy doing. So what that told me was, is Franco really a good actor or did he just find his way into this business and now he's stuck in it? You know what I mean? So I feel that a lot of actors, Uh uh-huh similar to those along the lines of James Franco, okay? It's not that they are A-list acting ability. Mm-hmm. It's they are A-listers in bringing in numbers. Yes. So James Franco is extraordinarily popular. Mm-hmm. He's someone who just the way he delivers things, right. and when you see him on stage, it's just very flattering to watch. Mm-hmm. He's relatable. He's, I don't know, something about that person brings in a lot of tickets, people who buy tickets, which makes him numerically an A-lister. Right. But are there not 10 other actors in the industry who you could put in the same role and they could act it better? Right. Yes, there are. Mm. But would they get the same numbers that Franco gets? We'll never know. But the bet was no, they won't. Right. So they went with Franco. Well, and I and I know that now, but like those were just one of the that was like one of the things that the kind of open. And I don't it's either. Definitely not even in the top ten. But but that's what bothered me when I was on set. I'm like, like what the fuck does this say about the movie that you guys hired a fucking stand-in that people thought could read the lines better than your A-lister? You know, just. That shit just bothers me. It's like, a, me. who's the other one who who's all about, oh, I'm going to get some blasts for this thing. <laughs> but the one who did Pineapple Express, is it Seth Rogen? Oh, Seth Rogen, yeah. Okay, again, I, I put him in the same boat as Franco. Yeah. Love his movies. I really mm-hmm. do. I enjoy all of the movies of his that I watch. Right. But do I watch them because I love him as an actor? Mm-hmm. No. Right. It's more of, if anything, the directors in those movies are what I would watch it for, knowing Mm. what a director does now. I like the way they're set up. I like the humor behind them. I think they're great. Could they have found a better dude than Seth Rogen? Probably 25 times. So here's my opinion about (laughs) Seth Rogen. He's just not an actor. So so I agree uh, with you. I agree with you. I have a hard time. I'm sorry, guys. So I 100% agree with you. What bothers me, actually... Is that because I think Franco should be in the same category as Rogan. I agree. And what they do is they try to bump up Franco into some other level of acting where I think he's supposed to be down where Rogan is. I because agree. Rogan is Which somebody, is still very successful. Absolutely. Okay. Well, and Rogan is somebody where, just as you said, it's not, and we talked about this earlier too, it's not that he's the best actor, but there are specific roles. Anything that's stoner-esque. That, yeah, that were made well. I would even argue no. There was a he did a film. Um, they did a film about Steve Jobs that Michael Fassbender yeah. played Steve Jobs, and then uh, 
Seth Rogen played the right-hand man to Steve Jobs uh-huh. before he left Apple, yes. right? And he did a great job in that role. It's not role. the Ashton Kutcher Steve Jobs no, movie. No. It's the other Steve Jobs he, movie. He played, what's the guy's name? Steve Wozniak or yes. something like that? whatever. Yes, you're right. But So he played that role. And I saw that movie, and I thought Seth Rogen did a really good job portraying that character. Really? Like yes. not being a stoner for once? Like not being a stoner. He, he did a very good job ah. portraying that character. However, though, that was one of those of like Seth Rogen could could do that role and he was great for that role, but you wouldn't put Seth Rogen in some dramatic, you know, he has to cry for two hours kind of scene. He's not he's not a versatile so, actor. Let me just because I'm I'm not really in with the times. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't keep up with a lot of this. Would the guy who I really like from Wolf of Wall Street, um, the the fatter dude. Oh, Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. So is he in the same category as um, Franco and so Seth Rogen? He's actually opposite. So whereas Franco is like put up on a more pedestal where I think he should be down where Rogan where's, is. Where's Jonah Hill? I think Jonah Hill is down where Rogan is and should be up okay. where Franco is. So as far as an actor goes, Jonah Hill is a fantastic yes. fucking actor. Actor. I agree. He might be a goofball. He might get goofy fucking roles. But he can play any role. But that dude can do anything. He can be an asshole. He can be hilarious. He can be a lover. He can be dramatic. He is fucking great at acting. And I feel like he's not put up where he should be. Yes. I agree. Okay, so I'm not crazy. In You're not that. crazy. Okay, so dude, I, I would movies. put Jonah Hill above James Franco. What was the one he played? War Dogs or whatever. War Dogs. Or, yeah, War, dude, he was phenomenal in War Dogs. Yes, so good. Absolutely. Wolf of Wall Street. He made that movie hilarious. Mm-hmm. He's oh, dude, he's great. And that's so that's my perfect example. You have somebody who I feel like truly values the craft of acting, like Jonah Hill, and then you then you have these parts that you're throwing James Franco in, where it's like, I, I don't know, it's like I I feel like he never tries in his fucking movies. You know the movie you know? Juno? Yes. Who's the little skinny white boy he plays in that? He's in a lot of stuff. Oh, Michael Sarah. Okay, yeah. Michael Sarah. Again. So that's one. Okay, I'm going to tell you my opinion, then you tell me yours. Okay. I think he's put up way too high. Yes. For what he is. I don't think he's that phenomenal of an actor. No. I think he found a role he's really good at, and he's played that role like six times now. But to be so, but to be fair though, I don't think anybody, even in Hollywood, looks at Michael Sarin as a great actor. I think just as you said, his movies do really well though. He's in very good movies. But that's just it. He's really good at playing one particular yes. character. So yes. anytime somebody writes a movie and they have a character like that I feel in like there, he's regarded above Jonah Hill, though. People can say he's been in more things than Jonah Hill's been in. Oh, no, I don't think so. No? No. I mean, Jonah Hill's been nominated for an Oscar. Michael Cera hasn't been nominated for shit. No, because he will, never will no, be. He's yeah. not that great. No, no. I don't I don't think Michael Cera is even in that league, nor do I think anybody considers him in that league, nor do I no think way. Michael Cera considers himself in that league. But there are people. Okay, maybe I just thought he was. It was a little highly regarded than he really is. No, because I he was pretty highly. Regarded. Because I think if you go back and watch any of these his movies, it's very obvious to everybody that oh, you're just playing Michael Sarah. You just you know that role I mean? yeah. yeah, but I don't know. Maybe it's it's interesting. I don't know. I guess what really makes you successful is how much money you bring in. Yeah. But what makes you a good actor, man, is being good at acting at the end yeah. of the day. That's what it is. Well, and that's that's the only point I'm trying to get across. There, there are actors out there who 
I feel like you put them in any role, no matter no matter what the role is, anywhere on the spectrum, and they cannot. They're gonna nail it. They're gonna nail it. They're gonna knock it out of the park. And I think there are actors out there that can't do that. And I don't Sean think Sean Connery. Sean Connery was a really good actor. Yeah, Sean Connery's a good actor. He did play a lot of similar roles over and over, but I do think you put him in anything and he would have nailed he would have knocked it out of the park. But that's really my good. point. It's like instead of just instead of putting these actors that can't do that and putting them on so high on a pedestal, it's like it's just, we've talked about it before, just in life in general. Know what you're good at and stick with it and embrace that but don't right. sit here and try to and do all these fucking movies and look look how versatile i am you're not versatile just because people put you in the role you know right so i don't I, know i have a lot of opinions about and film. i mean at the end of the day <laughs> they're where they are yeah you know and where we are so they did something right yeah i just sometimes i i feel that we all need to take a step back and remember that we're just watching people who are putting on an entertainment story for two hours. Yes. Um, they're not saving any lives. They're not creating anything to advance society. Uh-huh. They're entertaining. And they're not geniuses, people. <laughs> they are just phenomenal entertainers. Sometimes you just got to, some of these movies that come out, you just got to take at face value, you know. Except Adam and I, we're geniuses. Genii. Uh, well, yeah, so genii. Don't forget that, guys. <laughs> so we're, we're over time today. Oh, uh, no. And it's funny. We would, we, I think we talked about a few articles and then it just ended up becoming about film for, you know, there 40 you minutes. So I hope who, you guys enjoyed it. Who would have got? <laughs> Who would have not? Who would have thought? There we go. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. And we always appreciate our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this one in regards to virtual reality. And then, you know, film for 40 minutes. Uh, But remember, you can find us on all the social media platforms. We do have an update coming out for you guys soon. Uh, I I promise it's coming soon. And, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Any final thoughts, Matthew? Um, I just want everyone to remember that I am extraordinarily handsome, Mm. but you all are beautiful. So thank you. Thank you for being beautiful. That was beautiful, Matthew. Thank you. (laughs) See you tomorrow, guys. See you guys. Bye-bye.